0: Welcome back to another edition of Boilers Extra. I am Nathan Baird from the Journal and Career, alongside well, not really alongside, we're talking on the phone, but with my Dapper coworker, Mike Carmen, uh the Corky Lamb Sports Writer of the Year, accepting his award last night. We finally got to see you in a suit. I don't think I've ever seen that.
1: Uh what what happens at Bala Vista Country Club stays <laughs> at Bala Vista Country Club. <laughs> when was the last time before this you wore a suit? Um well, it'd have to have been at a um, funeral,
0: a funeral or a wedding. Yeah, like most of us, Yeah, right. well, not even is a wedding.
1: A, wedding, I usually don't go with a uh, suit, suit jacket. Yeah. Um, too, too formal. Yeah, a little bit too formal. Funeral, I think. Uh, yeah, I think the last last time was the uh, was a funeral. Um, and that would probably be family funeral.
0: Yeah, sports writers. Yeah, sportswriters is not really known for their fashion choices usually. it's uh, I, It's been described to me as we all look like we shopped from the Kohl's discount rack, which is <laughs> a thousand percent true, by the way, a thousand percent. Sometimes I step up to the Macy's clearance rack, but mostly Kohl's. Um, but yeah, it's usually funerals, weddings, and the rare job interview when someone um, flirts with potentially wanting to hire us.
1: That's about it. That's about the only time you'll ever catch us in a suit. I would, yeah, I, if I was hiring a sports writer, I would expect them not to be in the suit when they came and interviewed. Yeah,
0: I've, I've, I've had weird reactions before to <laughs> years ago when I would go on job interviews, and people would be like, well, what are you uh, – you, you, can we do something with your jacket? You look really hot. Like, why are you wearing – I'm like, I don't know. I'm trying to look nice for you folks, and, uh, and uh, I don't think I got those jobs. So uh, lesson learned, I suppose. But um,
1: uh, The bigger surprise yesterday was the uh, – the lack of Chuck Taylors,
0: right? Yeah, that's what I was saying. I mean, you, look, most people know you from the Chuck Taylors, the, the Hawaiian shirts, the polos. This, this is, and I kind of wondered if you know you're being honored as Sports Star of the Year. Maybe you should go in just your natural garb. I mean, you should go with what got you there.
1: <laughs> yes, you should. You, you should stick with your, your your game plan for three decades. Exactly. Right. You show up in uniform, but uh, the way everybody else was dressed, uh, I was. I fit in. So. That's good. Nice.
0: Well, someone else who has uh, jumped right into the job pool is Carson Edwards. I was in line at the grocery store last night when he announced via Instagram um, that he is making his MBA jump now and he will hire an agent. And while there have been some rules changed that allow players, undergrads, to use an agent to go through the undergraduate advisory committee process, there's nothing in his language nor in the way that Purdue has responded to this that leads me to believe for a second that he's only dipping his toes in this time. This is uh, Carson Edwards has left Purdue, has every intention of leaving Purdue to make the jump to the NBA. And this was not unexpected. In fact, I'd say it was expected and it makes all the sense in the world to me. I think he is making this decision. It's the earliest anybody has made this decision as far as an undergrad in a long time. Usually right about now is when we hear that guys are, you know, just going through the process. We, it it was, you know, even someone like Caleb Swanigan, who was a first round pick did not announce that he was staying in the draft until the very end of that uh, window, which was during the big 10 baseball tournament. If that tells you something about how late that was. Um, And, and yet uh, this just makes too much sense to me. I think, uh, you know, I know that there are some Purdue fans who are a little bit bittersweet about this because uh, they wanted to see him come back and score a whole bunch of points next year, and they looked at keeping this whole roster more or less intact other than Klein and Eifert and seeing what you could do, taking another shot at another deep NCAA tournament run. But, you know, Kurt Edwards had to make the right decision for himself, and I think he did it. I think it, it, his, his draft stock will never be higher than it is right now after the way that he went out with that kind of NCAA tournament performance.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think there was some wishful thinking going on uh, around Purdue, folks, uh, since the end of the uh, the NCAA tournament in hopes that Carson would might might stay, but you know that was just wishful thinking. Uh, I think everybody knew he was gone, uh, and it, the timing's right for him. And you can't, you really can't say anything negative about his decision. Uh he he probably took his college career as far as it could go. Uh yeah, I mean you're one step away from the final four, but um you know, in the big picture, you know, yeah, you, ha- you do have to take care of yourself and you know, the question I always have about these situations and he got on a tremendous run in the tournament and I you know, I applaud him for that for what he did and how he kept Purdue in the game against Virginia and you know, stepping up and hitting those free throws against Tennessee. Uh, to send that game to overtime. I mean, he just had a tremendous run. But even before the tournament, the scouts already knew who he was. Correct. So how much does his grade change, his NBA grade change, based on the four games he played in the NCAA tournament? Correct. And I think that's why coming back next year doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense for him. It
0: could Mm -hmm. probably only hurt himself because I think he is established as to what he is. He's not a... I don't think he'll ever be a true point guard. I don't think he wants to be, and I'm not even sure that that's what is in the best interest of his skill set. Um, you know, I wrote a thing last week that looked at some other players, six one and under, similar profiles as scorers, not really assist guys, and some of those guys can have long careers in the NBA. They're not necessarily starters and all-stars, uh, but they can play for a long time in the NBA by hitting, of your three-pointers and getting a couple of assists here and there. Maybe you're coming off the bench for a long stretch of your career. You can make a tremendous career doing that if you can do it consistently. You can catch on with teams that win championships and be a valuable guy off the bench that way. There's a a potentially bright future ahead of him. It is tougher. There aren't a lot of guys who have done that, but what he's proven is that he can go in and hit shots. He, He did it, and I know that People are going to – and I've done it. You look at that six weeks at the end of – from the start of February through the Big Ten tournament when you couldn't hit hardly anything, and how much of that gets erased by just those four games in the NCAA tournament? And I guess my answer would be not all of it, but at the same time, you're doing it on the biggest stage against the best teams you've played under the most pressure, under the biggest spotlight, and against some of the best defenders you were matched up against. And you were still able to go out there and put up that kind of performance. I think that will resonate with NBA teams. I don't think it shoots him up 20 spots on anybody's draft board. I think it's the kind of thing that maybe a team that wouldn't have taken you with the last few picks of the first round, maybe now they're enticed too or somebody trades back up because they want you there, something like that. I could see that happening. He still seems like a second-round guy, but in the modern – landscape of college basketball and the NBA and how the G League is structured now, I don't think that's the de- the deterrent that it once was. There was a time when if you weren't a first-round pick and you left as an undergrad, it was um, it was a bad decision. Um, you really had an uphill climb. You had to go ride buses in the G League for whatever it was, 25 grand a year, <laughs> is some miserable um, existence really. And they've Change some things i don't have those facts and figures in front of me but they've made it more lucrative not that you're making nba money but they've made it a little bit more palatable um with the with the two-way contracts with the um exhibit 10 contracts. there are other options that can get you a, a partial nba contract and I, I just i imagine he got the advice which again i think makes a lot of sense which is we know who you are You've established who you are. The NCAA tournament, I kind of think, showed people the best version of what he could be, and I think they'll factor that in. I, I talked to one scout who said that they're not swayed by either either way. They're not swayed too much by one or two games, whether it's good or bad. But that performance on that stage does mean something. Is it? He still thought Carson Edwards was a second-round pick, but it, it still means that you know, if it proved possibly the best version that you could get out of him.
1: Yeah, and the other thing that's going to happen in the NBA is he's not going to play as many minutes. Therefore, he's probably going to be, he should be fresher throughout the game for the the periods of time that he's playing. Uh, And therefore, he should have, you know, the legs. And, uh, you know, you probably shouldn't see the dip in in, in shooting performances that you see during a college basketball game where he's playing, you know, 39 minutes of a 40-minute game. And, you know, you could even tell it you know, against Virginia, he got a little gassed uh, at the end, uh, but you know, kind of picked himself back up and and continued to, to to hit. You know, in the NBA, you know, whatever whatever minutes the team needs out of him, he's gonna he's gonna bust his butt for those minutes. But then he knows he's gonna get a break, and then he can recapture his shot or you know do do whatever he needs to do. In that in that form, he could he's probably he's probably extremely valuable. To, to the right team um, uh, in in those situations, knowing that he's not going to be a 48-minute guy in the NBA. Half those minutes, if he plays 24 minutes a game, you, know, you wonder just how effective he can be. Uh, and, you know, the thing that he did on the college level is everybody targeted their defense to, to take him out of the game. And, you know, that wears on you a little bit, where in the NBA he's not going to be the best player on the floor. Right. Uh, he might be the best shooter, but he may he's not going to be the best player on the floor so that that opens up a lot of things for him where he can have a long career in the NBA doing what he he's doing I mean shooters are valued I mean they just are because that's the whole goal of basketball put the ball in the basket and you know if you can if he can do that on a consistent basis or at least you know around 40% of the time then yeah he's going to he's going to stick in this league for a long time and make a lot of money and make a name for himself and and have a great career and you you have to think that will fulfill him but you know he'll have to he'll also face the normal obstacles that everybody else face just time management uh dealing with you know your 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 finances injuries you know things like that that he'll have to he'll have to overcome and deal with but i mean as of right now i think he's set up to have a he should be set up to have a nice run uh as an nba player similar to what you know, maybe what Etwan Moore is doing right now, um, where, you know, you get to that, you get to that next contract and you, you kind of, you feel good and, you know, you've you've made something out of what you've
0: you uh, enjoyed doing
1: most of your life. No, I think that's a
0: tremendous comparable, not in necessarily in terms of, you know, physically, you know, Moore's the taller, he's more of right. a conventional shooting guard, whereas... Carson is more of a shooting guard in what's more of a conventional and point guards body at the NBA level. Um, but I will say, I, I think that that comp does make a lot of sense just because, again, each one's never been a guy who has, until maybe recently been much of a starter. He had to, he, he played his role, but he played it well. And we've seen how that's paid off literally. I mean, he's, he's taking care of himself for life. He's taking care of probably a couple generations of his family for life, um, with the career that he's put together. And there's no reason to think that Edwards couldn't have a similar, a a similar arc again, though, it will be a little tougher. I I do think, you know, the challenge is tougher for him defensively at his size. Um, the challenge will be a little tougher offensively at his size too. But I also think that the NBA game may fit his style better even than the college game did. What you, what you said is correct. I mean, he, he's, He's always been this focal point of opposing defenses, or at least he has been for the last, I would say the last good season and a half of his college career. And now that's not going to necessarily be the case. And you're also going to be matched up against the other team's bench guys a lot of times, and you're the guy coming off the bench if you watch the way NBA rotations go. So I I think those things help him. I think just the fact that the NBA game is spaced out a little bit more is going to help him too, and he can be the guy that can help do that just because of how deep his range is, how much he can stretch a floor, how much he can help stretch defense and open things up for other people. And we've seen him do the, the passing skills. We've seen him do the point guard skills in sort of dedicated stretches. We've seen him be a facilitator and a guy who can dump off and create points for other people. Maybe that's still something that can grow. He is just a, a junior. He's a younger guy that's, you know, perhaps that, that development is still ahead of his game. But there are reasons why I think that he, he will be a guy he can – sort of buck the trend of, you know, guys who are one and under and, as shooting guards. Um, who do, it, it, there aren't a lot of them who put together a long career, but I think he's a guy who could be one who could because uh, I think he's a smart guy. I think he's a, a disciplined guy. He's going to work hard, and he does have the skills. It's just a matter of can those skills translate, especially in some of those areas of the game beyond shooting.
1: Yeah, and he's a, he's a kid that has always played with a chip on his shoulder, and everybody's yeah. going to bring up his lack of size. And why he can't do it, and i that's probably all he needs to to keep fueling his own motivation to to make it work and i you know I think as long as he stays on edge, stays with that chip, I think he'll 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 do well because he here's a kid that doesn't need to be pushed, I think he pushes himself pretty hard uh to begin with, and now that you go to this next level where you're get, actually getting paid for what you're doing it becomes a job and you have to continue to push yourself. And I, I, think, he, I think he will. I mean, I, I just don't – and I, I haven't been around him as much as you have, but just in the brief encounters I've had with him, he just seems like a determined young man to to make it work. And you're going to tell him he's too small, then he's going to tell you that you're full of you-know-what. So, And he's going to go out and prove that he can do it. But, you know, I think the bigger question now is, okay, what does Purdue's team look like next year? Um, who can slide into the role that he was playing, obviously not have that kind of production, but as you look at next year's team and the makeup of what's coming back, what's coming in, you know, how how does this team look? And, you know, how much, um, you know, who has to make up that production? Or how, to, how does that production get spread around now to, to everybody else?
0: Well, I don't think anybody really steps into his role. He was a unique player in Matt Painter's career in a lot of ways. He hasn't ever really had a guard shoot that kind of volume. And part of that was because even when he had guys like Etwan Moore, there was enough other, you know, future pro-ready talent around him. You know, you still had to get the ball to Juwan Johnson. You still had to get Robbie Hummel his opportunities when he was healthy. You know, th- there was there was enough other talent there that the ball still got spread around. Um, Carson was a, a unique player in how he was handled and how we've talked about this before. We just talked about, it, I think, on the last podcast we did about, you know, he got more freedom in some ways to create and 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 lead the offense as a shooter than other Purdue players have. So what I think is interesting next year is you take a very similar makeup of players in a lot of ways. You know, Aaron Wheeler is more athletic than Grady Eifert, maybe not as yet proven to be reliable in some other ways. Uh, but still a very talented player and a guy who is on the uh, ascension in his career and a guy that you assume is their starting for next year, at least the way things are set out right now. You've got the Harms-Williams combination at the five. You're going to have to find, you know, those minutes at the two are right now, they're going to um, Hunter, Stefanovic, you know, um, and probably Brandon Newman that's coming in, um, I think could play a, a really big role as far as the rotation guy. So those minutes are, are, what I'm saying is those, those shots are now just going to get distributed throughout this whole offense. So now instead of, you know, having all the, these jump shots that were going to Carson Edwards, and I'm not taking away the fact that they need someone who can hit jump shots, and there are, there's nobody on next year's roster that I think is going to hit 10 three pointers in a game, let alone an NCAA tournament game against Virginia. Um, that, I don't think that talent necessarily exists on next year's roster. What I do think can happen though is now you take, those, you know, take 20 shots a game and now give three or four more looks at the basket to Matt Harms or more than that potentially, you know, that Harms-Williams combination. You take three or four more shots per game, and now Nodal Eastern gets those post-ups against opposing point guards or he gets those, those looks cutting to the basket for floaters and things like that. You're giving, you know, maybe a couple, three more three-point attempts to Aaron Wheeler or, or chances for him to, to drive to the basket. You start to just take those 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 shots and distribute them elsewhere in the offense to guys who are are pretty efficient players on their own right, and you start to see where maybe the points don't drop that much, even though they're not coming from one player. Now, having said that, I don't I don't want to minimize the impact of a player like Edwards within the offense, and I think they do need someone or or they do need some other people on the perimeter to step up because no Eastern's not going to hit you jump shots. And and players like you know Eric Hunter and Sasha Stavanovich, they did it at the high school level, but it, it's a different transition to, to do it in a volume at the college level. Uh, I'll say this about Brandon Newman, too, and, and Isaiah Thompson, the guys that are coming in, and anybody that they bring in still as far as a, a late recruit or transfer or anything like that. It, you know, I don't think those guys are going to be eight to ten three-pointers a game, and you're losing Ryan Klein, too. Let's not forget that. So there is a gap from on this team right now from a perimeter shooting perspective I I just don't think that it's going to be – that's not how it's necessarily going to be answered. I think it's going to be answered more by shots distributed through the whole offense. It's probably going to be an offense that runs through the post um, a little bit more than last year's did, maybe hearkening back more to the couple, three years before last season. And I think this team's going to be better defensively. I think it's going to have to be better defensively. I think that's maybe what it's going to have to hang its hat on more than just sort of this overwhelming offense that they've tried to throw at people
1: here the last few years. Well, all those guys you mentioned are going to be guarded straight up now, where mm-hmm. this year you were, you were leaning or hedging or double-teaming right. Edwards all the time, and that that left Grady Eifert open, that left Klein some open shots, that left everybody on the floor with you know some some other opportunities. Now, at least to start the year, you know teams are going to re- you know they're going to they're just going to play everybody play, play everybody straight up, and then uh, adjust throughout the game. And this could be a team that where you have different hot hands every night. I I think there's, um, it appears to be enough talent on this team just from a pure basketball standpoint and a shooting standpoint that, you know, a guy like Stavanovich or Hunter or Wheeler can get hot at any time and carry you through stretches. What's yet to be determined is can they carry you through games? And it it may, you know, it's probably more of a, what you would consider a traditional Matt Painter team where Mm -hmm. you may not have the superstar superstar on the floor, but you have several pieces that kind of blend well together. And you're right. It's going to, it's going to start on the defensive end for this team because, you know, as much as these guys were productive with Edwards on the floor, they have to be productive with Edwards, not on the floor. And, you know, I think that's probably still a little bit of a mystery just as this group. Gets together, it's like, okay, how many points can they actually score a game? And you know, you're going to have down periods, and yeah, you, know, you can say, you know, you can for all the, the for all the missed shots Carson had, and he had a lot of them. You can say, well, those, those could get turned into made buckets by somebody else, but you don't know that right now. You just don't know that, and therefore, I think that you know, Painter's going to probably return. Not that he strayed away from his roots but probably more emphasize what what he likes his teams to be, and that's going to be extremely strong on the defensive end, rebounding, and then figure out what's going to happen offensively. And this is probably a team, you know, until, we, until you see the final roster, who's at it and stuff like that, that's probably going to have an opportunity to grow throughout the year. And what you see offensively in November and December may not be what you see in January and February. Well, I think the key to Purdue being a, um,
0: a good three-point shooting team next year is Matt Harms and Trevion Williams. They've got oh, yeah. to get back to a situation where somebody draws those double teams um, and, and draws them in the post, I think. And, and that opens things up. We saw that with the, the Haas-Harms combination. We saw that with the and haas combination. We saw that with the, the Hammonds-Haas and combination. I mean, we, you know, th- that, that's been the way that Purdue – I mean, they had good shooters, don't get me wrong. But a lot of times those shooters did not have to make shots with a guy in their face because a double team is coming somewhere and they're able to get the ball to the guy that's open. So I think that's a, a key for next season is do, and you start to see this down the stretch. I think, you know, Harms led the big 10 and in, in field goal percentage um, Trevin Williams uh, when, when he's locked in had those nights where he could be really strong. And I think he needs to take a jump um, in terms of both just sort of maintaining his confidence, kind of uh, weathering the ups and downs of a season and also just keeping his weight in check and coming to next season in better shape than he ended this season. And those guys have the potential, I think, as a combination to to really be a handful for teams and to be where this offense can pivot off of. And on on top of that, you know, Matt Harms is a really, really smart guy and a smart basketball player. He really understands the game. Um, it's 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 a lot of fun to talk to him, either going into games or coming out of games because he can explain things. He knows what you're trying to ask and it can he just really gets the essence of the game and Trevon Williams you know one of the things that reminds people most of Caleb Swanigan, it's not his size or even his rebounding it's those soft hands he has and we saw it last year the way that he can kick out passes to the perimeter the way that he makes some nifty dump offs to the guy that's you know coming on the block when the double team comes to him I mean th- there's opportunities there for this offense to really thrive through those two guys and I think that's that's the key to me more than Eric Hunter, Sasha Tabanovich, Brandon Newman, any of these guys stepping up and all of a sudden being some kind of a a, a high volume chucker that's that's draining you know forty three percent of his threes or whatever. Uh, I think those guys can shoot threes well, but I don't think it's going to be in the volume that we saw this year by anywhere close to the volume we saw this year from certainly from Edwards, probably even not from Ryan Klein. It's going to be more distributed than that. It's going to be. Um, more opportunistic than that, although people don't like when I use the word opportunistic apparently because it has a negative connotation. But I think people know what I'm saying. You're you're, you're just being more judicious about it and, and, and you know, getting that open shot that players like P.J. Thompson, Dakota Mathias, Vince Edwards thrived on for four years. You know, th- those guys weren't high-volume three-point shooters either, but they're all among the best shooters in Purdue history percentage-wise because they let it create through the offense. Grady Eifert, one of the best, you know, had the best three-point shooting percentage um in Big Ten play this year uh, because he shot such a low volume, but he was wide open every time he shot it. That's the kind of things that this offense should try to create more next year, and I think it can. It's just going to be, you know, it's, ball movement is going to be important, and keeping the turnovers low like they did this year is going to be important. But that's not going to be that easy to do without Ryan Klein and Grady Eifert in the lineup, uh, let alone Carson Edwards.
1: Yeah, but as the Painter has proven, I mean, you, the, the, the names change, but really the production from some of these guys is still going to be there, I think. And, you know, and you're right, it'll start inside out and they'll figure it out. And, you know, I think people have learned over the years, you really shouldn't, you know, write off what Painter and Purdue basketball is doing. You just kind of have to wait it out and see where where it leads. And not every year is going to be like this past year where you end up in the Elite Eight. But, you know, there's obviously enough of a foundation here with, you know, and the kind of guys that he's recruiting to... To, to keep this thing, you know, going where you're going to be an NCAA tournament team. You're going to, you know, have a shot to to get through the first weekend type of thing. You're going to, ch- you know, you'll be in the conversation for a Big Ten title um, and, and things like that. And, and, you know, but, you know, if you start next year six and five, can next year's team recover the way this year's di- this year's team did? So, you know, every team is different and you're going to have periods of adversity and you know how do you work through that, and you know at least the guys that are coming back have been through some of that, and it should pay off uh, for them next year when because they will encounter that. It's just it's a long season. It just it happens, and every team has to deal with it, and um, and you know hopefully they can learn from what happened this year to to apply to next year. You know one thing that jumps
0: out at you is next year's team, if it gets off to a start like that, will not have what this year's team did, which was two four year starters even though they were, you know, role players stepping into starting roles for the first time, those guys had some respect in the the locker room. But I do think there are also other guys on this team, you know, even this year, Matt Harms, very vocal guy. I think he has a real presence in that locker room. It's going to be even bigger next year when he's one of the elder statesmen. That's going to be his uh, third and a half year in the program at that point. So fourth fourth year as, as some member of the program, um, no Joe Eastern being your point guard, but I think he's another guy that people really respect. Um, the only senior you're going to have next year is Evan Boudreau, a guy who would be here his second year as a grad transfer, unless they bring in some other grad transfer. But that can be a tough role to come in and play a big leadership um, role right away. So uh, that is one thing that you you, you have some, some concern about. But, again, I think that goes back to just guys recognizing that and having to step up and, and play that role. So, um as far as other NBA decisions that could be coming uh, harms is really the only one that I would expect maybe to still go through the process this year. I think he would benefit from it in a lot of ways. The tricky thing for him is the summer is his, usually his one chance to get to go home and see family. And um, so, I don't know how he'll handle that. When I asked him about it after the last game, I said, Hey, you know what you're doing this summer? And he said, well, I'm going home in May to see family and then I'll be back here in June. I don't know if he – maybe I didn't word it correctly. Maybe I should have just flat out asked him, are you doing the NBA draft thing so he can say yes or no to that. I just think it wouldn't surprise me at all if the coaches pulled him aside and said, you know, you're seven foot three and you can move and you're, you're trending towards being able to more consistently shoot from the perimeter and you're going to be a valuable commodity. It's, it might be worth it for you to take a long look at this. Um, I don't know that he's ready to go yet. I don't know that he would put himself – in that position, but as we've seen before, a lot of players have benefited from this experience now, being able to just kind of, you know, go through the process, get the feedback, see where they stand, get yourself on other teams' radars for down the line. I, I think all those things are are
1: potentially beneficial to him if he were to decide to do it. Well, I think any any player should do it if they can, if, if they haven't used up their, their opportunities yet. I mean, whether it was a direct result of of going through that process last year, you know, Joe Eastern came back a completely different player and especially better one offensively and one, a player you could trust to hit free throws, you know, in the last five minutes of a game. Um, So whether, whether that was a direct result of the feedback he got, I have no idea, but if you can get that kind of improvement and transformation out of a guy, uh, then they should do it. And again, the opportunity is there. You know I don't know exactly how many chances they get to do it, but you know they they should a guy like harm should do it if if he's if he's if he's willing to do it uh if he feels like it'll benefit him and you know and and for him, probably he's got a way between going home, which is something he doesn't get to do but once a year or going through this process and you know for him, it's probably a little bit harder decision than. Than somebody who's maybe from the states and right, you know, can get home at any time. Where maybe Matt Harms views the opportunity to go home in May as a valuable uh, recharging surface for him to, to, you know, to come back ready to go for the for the long for the long season that for for a lot of these guys start in the summer and just continues all all the way through the winter. I will say this, Matt Harms, before
0: he came to the states to go to Sunrise Christian. Had a professional contract on the table in front of him, ready to be signed, and he did not sign it. Not all, not really because he wanted a high school slash college experience, but because number one, I don't think he liked necessarily the situation with that particular organization that much. But I think there was also I, I don't think like he felt he was ready to go live a professional life on your own, traveling on your own. It, he was very young. It was going to be. I, I don't think he was ready for that. So his he already has a perspective on the life of a professional basketball player a little bit, and I think that probably factors in a little bit to how he looks at this. If he doesn't feel like it's at a stage of his life where he's ready to do it, that might play into whether or not he decides to even go through the process. Although, again, I think there's benefits to it. Even if you know from day one you're not going to go to the NBA, there's there's a lot to be gained from going through the process. Nosele Eastern, I did ask him the same question. I asked him a little bit more directly after the last game after the Virginia game and he said he hadn't decided but he probably wasn't going to go through the draft process this summer um that didn't necessarily surprise me I think you are somewhat limited as to how many times you can do it and I don't think you can necessarily do it after your freshman sophomore and junior year don't quote me on that but I believe that's true so if he's gonna if he thinks about doing it again next year it makes maybe some sense to take this summer off. But um, those are the two guys who are probably the most likely. I think Aaron Wheeler is somebody who eventually will go through that process. I don't know if he'll do it now, just being a redshirt freshman and and not having played, you know, starters minutes as a a freshman. He's trending in the right way, and that's something that I think a year from now at this time we might be talking about him just because of his athleticism, his ability to shoot, his size. I think all those things fit into, in a very similar way that it once did for Vincent Edwards, I think fit into what NBA – teams might look at as far as giving them some roster versatility so um that's what we know about basketball this spring i wanted to transition over and talk a little spring football the spring game was this saturday
1: at ross aid stadium i don't remember the score do you remember the offhand <laughs> the, uh... yes i do 53 to 39 the defense won. okay using the the always popular modified scoring system We'll see if Texas Tech and Virginia can beat that combined total <laughs> that actually, tonight in the National Championship game. I don't the score tonight's
0: game. <laughs> Somebody made a joke on Twitter after the semifinals that the Texas Tech and Virginia have only played once in football, and the final score was like 31-28, to 28 and that's the projected score for Monday night. Uh, I don't think that's true. I think we're going to see a, a good basketball game tonight, but by the time people hear this, uh, it might have already been played. So, anyway, back to spring football. Um uh, you know, we talked going into the spring that it was maybe going to be a little bit difficult to judge some things just from a from a number standpoint. We're going to have key injuries or guys who are not necessarily hurt, hurt, but being held out, precautionary reasons or just to, taking the spring off. There was no reason but Marcus Bailey out there, et cetera, et cetera. So I guess what are your biggest takeaways considering that? Were there areas do you think Purdue learned some important things this spring despite not being able to? Didn't necessarily put
1: their best guys out there. Yeah, I mean I, I think uh when you when you start defensively, I think the guys that were playing in the secondary are the guys you're gonna see in the fall. Um that you know they didn't have there wasn't any attrition there really or no injuries or guys being held out. Uh you had some new guys stepping in because you you know you lost Jacob Thieneman, so you know, Corey Trice has to step in there. Uh you know we we got to see Jalen Graham You know, he's probably going to start out as their number one nickel guy or at least somewhere in that secondary where he's going to get some playing time. And then, uh, to me, the cornerback position where you've now got a rotation of Simeon Smiley and uh, Diedrich Mackey and Kenneth Major, uh, three guys with some experience, especially Major and Smiley. Smiley is his more natural position, and I think he gives them a lot of lengths and a little bit more athleticism. Uh, on the outside where he can battle some bigger wide receivers, you know, so the guys that we saw in the secondary for the most part, you know, Navon Mosley's back as well, you know, those are going to be the guys that are going to play in the fall and at least start training camp that way. You know, all the other positions, you know, receiver, you know, you can go to receiver where, yeah, I mean, I think Ahmad Anderson had a nice 15 practices. Um, Jared Sparks, you know, did well. Jackson Anthrop always does, does well, but you know, the unknowns are, okay, how do, how do the newcomers coming in, how are they going to fit in, you know, are they going to take take over roles right away? Um, and they all want to duplicate what Rondell Moore did last year, which is going to be uh, probably impossible to do, but they can impact this team in other ways. Um, you know, I could go through every group, but, you know, I didn't even see any starting linebackers out there on Saturday. Right. <laughs> which, you know. It's like, so how do you how do you judge the linebacking group? You know, George Karloftis had a nice spring practice, but, you know, you just have to, you know, was that the, was it because the inexperience on the offensive line? Or, you know, is George really that good? And I think George brings a lot of talent. He's got a lot of raw talent. Um, and I think he'll grow into his position and eventually be a playmaker from the end spot. But is he ready to do against Nevada uh, in late August? Um, I mean, we'll find out because he's going to be with the starters, and he's going to he's going to work with the first team all the way through. But you know, you're also missing Lorenzo Neal and Anthony Watts, two guys that have experience that are going to factor in the rotation. But Giovanni Rivera and Jeff Marks were able to get a lot of rep time uh, playing inside. Um, so you know, it's it's so hard to, to gauge and judge exactly. What happened in spring practice? Uh, because a not over, not everybody's there, and you're playing against yourself. So for every good play, there's a bad play, and so it's just really, just really hard to judge. I you know I think, you know, I, I, you know I think we know Sindelar is going to be the number one quarterback. I think his talent level is higher than than, J, than Jack Plummer right now. Uh, Got to keep him healthy. You know on the offensive line, you know they still have work to do, and you know figuring out the interior spots. You know, Victor Beach has got to play catch-up now um, uh, in the summer as far as you know, getting somehow getting reps. I'm not sure how they do that when they're not together, but he's got to get some reps because he missed 10 or so practices, and this was going to be an important time for him and that offense to really maybe figure some things out. But now they go into the offseason, I think, with uh, maybe not as comfortable as, as they, they were hoping to be. But, you know, that's probably a long-winded answer to – a question that I'm not sure I answered very well. But uh it's just it's kind of a hodgepodge thing and again with so many guys out is and even if these guys even if everybody was healthy and they played, I'm not sure exactly what what you learned. And mm-hmm. you know, the the reps were good for young guys maybe trying to, to earn a spot or at least get the coaching staff to notice them. Um but, you know, this is all gonna change. Uh once the summer gets here and training camp starts. Because I, you know, I think there are a lot more freshmen that are probably ready to play right now uh, than they've had in the past. And, you know, and I think they'll be given every opportunity to earn a spot or at least get in the rotation early. And then, uh, you know, I think they'll figure it out, you know, from there. So, I mean, to me, someone like,
0: I I don't have a lot of concerns about the George Karlofs of the world. Because I feel like even though they're coming in and they're new, And they've got a lot to learn. He's also coming in with a higher floor than some other players are. I think to me, you know, the question is, I thought this was kind of telling from from reading your recap of the spring, was, you know, you're talking about the interior of the defensive line and and what looked like some progress they were making. But because they're doing it against this Purdue offensive line, that can be a really difficult thing to judge. Um, Do you you know if they made any sort of strides with this offensive line this spring? and, And how do you even judge that? Um, under the circumstances, it sounded like there were, you know, some real concerns with the way they ran the ball in the spring game, and you've also got to be able to protect whoever you put back there, especially against Sendellar with his injury history.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's hard to gauge uh, the fact that they were running a lot of different combinations throughout the spring. Uh, I think Mark Stur- Stickford, who who started out at tackle and then got moved to right guard, I think he said probably about ten different combinations. They used during spring practice, just trying to see what worked I mean uh, Alex Crittle, who moved over from the defensive line mm-hmm. um, in the off season, started day one at left guard and then dropped to the second team and then at the end of toward the end of spring practice, he was back with the first team. so you know what does that you know what does that mean in the Dale Williams world of putting together his offensive line? you know I, you know i don't know you know they really don't they don't tip their hand that much and, he, and as i wrote if jeff rom knew who he was going to start against nevada right now he wouldn't say it right you know, he's a guy he's a guy that's going to keep competition going he's not going to let anybody settle right now as they get into the off season and in the training camp um you know he wants each guy fighting for for that position because you do need that you need they do need better competition on the offensive line Uh, to push guys and they do want to play more than five, you know, they stuck with basically five guys last year and you need to up that um, a little bit. But, you know, the the bottom line is that, um, you know, if this offensive line can equal at least equal what has happened the last two years, I think they'll be in good shape. Um, Mm -hmm. It just can't be a dramatic drop off. And the fact that you, you do have guys that haven't played, significant snaps in a game, and we're talking specifically about the center and the two guard positions, where Grant Hermans and Matt McCann have played a lot of football, and you feel comfortable with those two guys uh, at the tackle positions, but it's the interior where you just don't know what you have until... I mean, you're, you're truly not going to know what you have until you line up against Nevada, and it may cause may cause this coaching staff to to rip it all up and start over, or they may think, okay, this is, this is something that we can work with. Um, And, you know, nobody's really going to know until that time. You know, I think the things they're looking at is just, you know, are you doing what you should be doing? Are you running the right play? Are you blocking the right guy? Are you filling the gap? Are you, are the the right calls being made? And, you know, and that's something that that only they know uh, what's going on there, but it's a concern and it, it will be a concern. And, and to some degree, it, it, it's always going to be a concern with Purdue football because it's just they've never had, you know, they're they're not known for turning out offensive linemen. And yeah. now, you know, they're in a period right now where they're just trying to plug holes. You're just trying to recover from what's happened the last three or four years from a recruiting standpoint, where now in the 2020 class you're you're targeting bigger, stronger, more athletic offensive line. You want this to be – kind of your defining offensive line class for the future uh, where you can start maybe some sort of, you know, I don't I don't really want to use the word pipeline, but that's the only one I could come up with right now. I'm not sure that would be appropriate for Purdue and football is having an offensive line pipeline. But if they could get in a situation where you're playing, you know, a couple of fifth-year guys, two or three fifth-year guys, and then they get replaced by third-year, you know, third-year sophomores or juniors or whatever, and you just you just kind of keep replacing them a little bit, then, you know, I think they'll be in good shape. You know, and that's, to me, that's the biggest question of how far this offense can take a step is how much can you protect the quarterback? How much can you generate a running game? I, I just, I wasn't impressed with the running game that much on Saturday. And I, I just didn't think the blocking was, was that good. Um, and, but you're also dealing, you know, Taro Fuller didn't play. You know, Horvath ran hard. Alfred Armor ran hard, uh, but you know, it just didn't. It just didn't seem to. uh, It it lacked a bit of a punch. But again, that that could be all by design. Where you know, Jeff Brom did say they were vanilla on both sides, and um, so you, you can't you can't put a full stock into what you saw Saturday. But I think the concerns about the offensive line remain real, though. Yeah, and it's not just about finding the five guys who can start against Nevada. It's finding like the eight
0: guys that you're going to need because you know that five guys don't make it to a season intact very often, um, or at least having to miss sometime, even if it's half a game or whatever, somebody's going to go down at some point. And I think that's the real concern with this group. It's not just finding five guys who can be serviceable. It's finding eight guys who you're really confident in putting them on the, on the field to, to be the the sort of backbone of that offense. Um,
1: I would say, I would say right now that, you know, if they got an injury on the interior at one of the guard spots, that whoever you put in, there wouldn't be a big drop-off. Now, it doesn't But is that because? (laughs) The talent is pretty even. Yeah. Okay. The talent's pretty even. Now, if you lose a Grant Hermans or a Matt McCann, you know, that's a bigger issue because you don't have an experienced guy that can just step in there or a guy of equal talent to those guys right now. Uh, whereas in the interior, especially the two guard spots, if you started Mark Strickford and he got hurt and whoever you would replace him with, there just wouldn't be that big a drop-off. Now, I'm not saying the talent is high to begin with. There just wouldn't be that big a drop-off. But it's, you know, I think with these guys, as I said, it's just more about, okay, are you doing the right things? Are you running the play correctly? Are you doing everything right from that standpoint? And then you kind of let things take care of themselves from there because you know, this offensive line is not going to be perfect and they're going to have issues, but, you know, as long as they're – if they're in the right spot, then, you know, to me that's probably half the battle, and then you you kind of work – you work beyond that from there. You know, offensive line was the only
0: unit that I really looked at as having something it could really prove this spring. There's so much incoming talent from a freshman class or whatever that's coming in at these other positions that a lot of things can change between now and, you know, wide receiver is one area. You know, some guys had a good spring this year at receiver, but that may not mean a lot when the guys who are coming in get on campus this summer and can pretty quickly potentially jump to the top of this depth. Rep. Maybe
1: the same thing for some of these guys in the secondary too. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's true. I think, you know, I think, the, I, I think the bigger issue for the receivers is just if, if Amon Anderson, if Jared Sparks, you know, we we know, I think Jackson Anthur is going to play. You know, we saw kind of his what his role was going to be last year when Rondell Moore really took off. But if Ahmad and Jared can still be in that rotation of that six receiver rotation, or however many they're going to rotate in there, that you know that's that's going to give this group a lot more depth and not wear guys out. Uh, and you know, of the four of the four incoming receivers with David Bell, Milton Wright, Rashawn Ross, uh, Rashawn Rice, and uh, and T.J. Sheffield, you know, not all of them are going to pan out at the very beginning. It just, I mean, if 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 Brombo's four for four with these guys and they're all making impact their freshman year, then that's a credit to their recruiting and their scouting and their player evaluation. Yeah, you know, kudos to them. But chances are, there's just not going to not all four of those guys are going to be home run hitters. You know, their freshman year, I, I would fully expect David Bell to have an impact have a good impact on this team, being able to stretch the field. I think he's a guy that will will get on the field early. Milton Wright's probably another one. But then the other two, they may end up being better than David Bell. Milton Wright, I don't know. But, you know, if those other two just kind of work their way into the rotation, then I think that's a positive for for the receiving group. And, you know, as long as they can take some pressure off Rondell and have defenses play them more honestly – in the passing game, you know, I think it's going to be a win for this offense. And, you know, the more weapons you got on the field, it's just like basketball, the more guys that you can put in scoring position. If you have five guys on the floor that have the guard, then, you know, your your production's going to go up. And I you know it's the same way with in in this situation where the more guys you gotta respect on the field, I I you know I think that's really going to help produce offense. Anything else we need to cover from spring football? You were out there as much as you could possibly be, I don't want to leave any stones unturned. <laughs> no, I've just, I mean, I thought, you know, a guy I wrote about uh, after the game, Elijah Ball. He's a, I think he's a versatile defender that's going to play a lot of different spots. And because of the injuries, he had to play more linebacker than they probably wanted him to. And, he, you know, he's a guy that's going to fit in in some nickel and can play some safety. Um, I'm, I'm more curious where he ends up when when everybody's healthy and i mean i think he's a, he, i think he's a kid that has a lot of position right now has a lot of positions he can play but which one suits him best and he he, he may he may end up playing five different positions throughout the course of the year and he, he and that would be a good problem for Purdue to have to have some versatility and have some depth where you can plug guys in um but beyond that um it was just it was kind of disappointing not to see some guys out there because um, because of some injuries that they, they sustained during spring practice. One of them was Jalen Alexander, who got a lot of reps last year playing linebacker, but then uh, twisted his ankle and had a high ankle sprain right before spring break and never came back. And, you know, I guess the one injury to really be concerned about as you get into summer and training camp, you know, I think Lorenzo Neal will be fine. Uh, Jeff Brom hinted the other day that he may not be full go when they start camp early August, late July, but you got to remember he had ACL surgery in December, um, so it may take him a little bit longer. But the the big one to me is Richie Worship. Here's a kid that hasn't played since late 2017, tore his ACL, um, had surgery, and then developed another problem in his knee and had microfracture surgery, which knocked him out of all last year, thought he'd be back for spring, and he wasn't. Um, You know, there are... You know, they they feed you whatever they want to feed you about injuries. Um, and they said it was just more precautionary to keep him out. But he here's a guy I think that can really give them a, a different dimension in the backfield if he's healthy. You know, he's a big guy that can still run. And he, he, he once he gets that once he gets his speed up and going, he, he's hard to bring down. And you can put him in the backfield with Tario Fuller, maybe some combination with Xander Horvath. And I think he got a lot of different kinds of running backs uh, in that backfield. So, you know, I think if they can get Richie Worship back on the field, full strength, ready to go in training camp, you know, I think that's going to add something to their offense that they didn't have all of last year, and they were still decent in the running game. But I, I think with him they can really take that up another notch uh, because we saw a burst of him a couple years ago uh, when he got in the open field or – in some third third down and short yardage situations where he was able to, to keep the pile going. And you know, there's just not a, I just don't see a lot of backs like him uh, when, against you know who whoever produced playing. And um know, yeah, I think he's going to kinda of be a key piece to just to monitor and see like if he gets a training camp and he's on he's on the roster and he's playing and he's he's out there, I think that can really benefit uh what they're gonna do offensively. Well, we will keep monitoring football as things progress here over the summer going into
0: training camp. We've got a few months of a break between football and basketball, although there may still be some basketball news here to come in the next uh, few weeks as far as staff decisions, things like that. So keep coming back to jconline.com. Follow me on Twitter, Nathan Baird. I'm at J C. Mike Carmen is at carmen underscore jc. And,
1: and just, I just wanted to say coming up this Friday, um, Jeff Brown's contract amendments ah, that yes, was, that was negotiated or at least started in the negotiation process with when Louisville knocked on the door uh you know after last season it's going to go in front of the board on on Friday. we you know firmly expect that to be approved. what those final numbers are, don't know yet, you know there were a lot there was some speculation you know back over the winter of what it might be. Um, and we'll, we'll wait and see. The only thing that we do know for sure is that um, going into last year, he had a seven-year contract. That year is going to be restored. So as he starts this season, he has a seven-year deal. At least that was the information that Athletic Director Michael Binsky told me after the whole Louisville situation played out, is that they, he'll have a seven-year contract you know, starting 2019. So, I mean, that, I think that's the only thing we know for sure. But other than Steph Brown will get a pay raise. How much of a pay raise and what the contract looks like, I won't know for sure till till Friday. But that's that's coming up this week, where they'll, you know, we we all think the board will say yes to that. And you know,
0: people have asked me, you know, what is the corollary to this with Matt Painter and I? Um, just after the success of basketball had, does he also get an extension? considering he just got one last, well, just a few months ago, really, um, before, before the start of the season. Uh, really, right at the start of the season was when they approved it. Um, quick answer is, I don't know. I wrote a thing last week that kind of explained all the bonuses he got that are, some of them are, are somewhat easily attainable, but they're all pretty lucrative, and they pushed his, the value of his contract up to where he is, I think, right now, about fifth or sixth place in the Big Ten, which I don't think is an unreasonable place to have him um, so I don't know how quickly he'll get any kind of a big boost. You have to remember they also are in a rolling contract situation with him now where kicking in, I believe it's in, uh, I believe it's July 1st, it kicks in a rolling five-year contract. So uh, I, I don't know that his decision is, is very affected by the other. I think he also legitimately understands the importance of football and what the success in football means financially for the rest of the athletic department. But I also think uh, Mike Bobinski and Purdue have, a good track record of taking care of coaches who have success that exceeds the level they are at before. So it's I wouldn't rule out some other kind of a, a a boost to his contract between now and the the fall. I do know that uh, the 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 bonus that he gets for making the elite eight this year is at least ten percent of his bonus pool. Um, so that's almost a hundred thousand dollars. But that's also at the discretion of Bobinski and President Mitch Daniels. So that could be a larger amount than that. That has not been disclosed. Um, and I don't, and, you know, Matt's been away. I think he's been at the Final Four right now, as most coaches go at this time of year. So I don't know that that thing's been broached yet. But I, I would imagine, it, it, I would rule out that that could be a, a larger number than was originally contract, contractually agreed to.
1: Yeah, and the other thing too is that you know when we get we get details of Brom's contract on on Friday that it could look similar to Matt's as far as okay now they yep. you know did this rollover thing for Matt maybe that maybe that was something appealing to Jeff I I don't I don't ha, I don't know or maybe it wasn't or you know maybe they just treated each coach differently and this is what matters to to Painter and this is what matters to Brom and you know we're not going to know for sure and I think the one thing that Wobinsky would love to see happen is like uh, let's not revisit this again after the two thousand nineteen season. You know yes. for his first two years, they've had to rework and make some amendments to his contract. And yeah, I think Purdue would like to see that stop. Not because it's anything against negative against Jeff, it's just, you know, they keep bending over backwards to keep him, which they should, but you know, at some point there's there comes a tipping point where so, you just can't do everything that you that you want to do. And, you know, I think they would like to see that lease simmer down uh, a little bit, you know, have a have a nice uh, couple years where, you know, if they boost his salary to a point where it's, you know, let's say it gets him in the top ten in the country, well, there's only nine schools that can really afford him at that point. And those nine schools are not looking for coaches. Right, uh, right. So you, 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 you might be able to take care of that with whatever you're going to do, do do for him or whatever you've done for him. And, you know, that, that, and then that kind of takes care of itself. We'll keep an
0: eye on that. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Carmen underscore JC. Come to jconline.com on Friday. We'll have coverage of whatever development comes out of that. And uh, please subscribe, if you haven't already, to Boilers Extra. You can do it on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, ending up at Google Play. We've got a bunch of outlets. And and tell your friends. We're trying to kind of grow the audience for this podcast and, and, and get as many listeners as possible. So spread the word, and we will be back with you shortly for another edition of Boilers Extra.